Welcome to the Hope in the Hard Times sermon series. I preached this series of messages back in 2012 at the Metropolitan Bible Church, shortly after I'd gone through treatments for cancer. Now in 2020, as we face hard times related to the coronavirus, we at Heritage College and Seminary are re-releasing the sermon set along with a companion study guide. As you dig deeper into God's Word, you will receive hope in the hard times. You know, sometimes hope seems hard to find. I certainly felt that way on June 8th. June 8th, I had an appointment at the General Hospital to see the radiation oncologist. I had already been through a couple surgeries in the last three months, and I was kind of hoping I was done with treatment, and I, I thought that this appointment was just kind of a check-in to make sure that I was uh, mending and healing up, and they would probably put me on some kind of a monitoring uh, regimen, and that's, that's kind of what I was expecting, but that's not how the appointment went. The doctor uh, told me that he thought I was at risk for recurrence, and he strongly recommended that I begin a course, a seven-week course of what he called adjuvant radiation. And I remember just as he was saying those words, I just remember just feeling flattened uh, by them. I, I don't know if you've had that experience where all of a sudden it's like you're not absorbing anything else. He was talking and I was trying to listen, and I, I mostly felt numb. Right after that appointment, we had planned to have some friends come to the hospital, pick us up, and we were all going to go out for lunch. And I was thinking, I don't know if I can do that. And we had about 10 minutes till they were to come, so I told Linda, I said, Linda, I just need a few minutes alone. So I, I went walking out in some of the far reaches of the parking lot, and I just poured out my heart to God. And I said, Lord, I don't know if I'm up for this. Well, the next morning, I was still kind of wrapping my heads around all of this, and I, I did what I do every morning, which is to start the day by reading the scriptures, and I've been reading through, a, uh, reading through the Bible consecutively, and, and, and this day, the reading that was mapped out was Psalm 69, which we recited a little bit earlier. And as I read what the psalmist wrote, my heart just resonated with it. He, what he was writing is what I was feeling. He starts off by saying, you know, help, Lord, the waters are up to my neck. And then he says, and I'm losing my, my footing. I, I can't find a place to stand. And then he says, and I'm, I'm weary from calling out to God for help. He's talking about a hard time in his life. Now, I'm quite aware that I'm certainly not the only person who has recently been through or is currently going through a hard time in life. They come in all kinds of packages and they come to all of us. It can be a life-threatening or debilitating illness, but it can be many other things, right? It can be a fracture in the family, a marriage meltdown, or a, a, a child who rebels, or, or losing a parent. Today, my dad turns 82, and uh, he's walking the journey through Alzheimer's, and it's not an easy time for him or or my mom. Hard times come in the form of maybe a job loss or an economic reversal. They come in all kinds of ways. Sometimes they all seem to come at once, don't they? It's like uh, several things converge that seems to just crush us under the weight. And when that happens, what you're looking for, what you want to find in the hard times is some hope 
You're looking for hope. But where do you find hope when hope seems hard to find? Like, where do you go looking for it? The day after I met with the doctor at the general hospital, I, uh, the next day I, I went out for a walk in our neighborhood and went to this little park. And I just went there to pour out my heart to the Lord and to kind of think and pray. And as I was walking, all of a sudden my mind went back to a passage that I had memorized some months earlier. I hadn't really been thinking about it recently. And, and I sensed maybe God was putting that on my mind. So I thought, well, I'll just review those verses. And so I started to go over them. And as I did, I realized that those verses talked about hope. In fact, hope was a theme in these verses. In fact, it talked about a hope that does not disappoint. And on that day, I was thinking, I could use some of that. Hope that does not disappoint. So I began to soak myself in that scripture. And as I did, it's like faith began to rise. It's like hope began to rise. Even in the hard time. This morning, we begin a series at the Met that's called Hope in the Hard Times. And for the next 10 weeks, our desire is to look at some passages in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that point in the direction of hope. And this morning, we're going to begin by looking at a passage, in fact, the passage that was so helpful to me on that June afternoon. The passage that God was working in my heart, because I'm convinced that the same passage could be something very helpful and hopeful to you. This morning, I want to invite you on a journey to hope. And we're going to begin by looking at a passage found in the book of Romans, chapter 5. So can I invite you, please, to join me there? Romans 5 will be in verses 1 through 5 today. If you need a Bible, we have blue Bibles here in the auditorium, hopefully within arm's reach of you. I'd like you to see it for yourself. So if you don't have your own scripture, make sure you take one of the Bibles nearby so your eyes can follow the words of scripture. Romans chapter 5. In the Blue Bibles, it's page 798, 798. Today, we're going to see what the Bible says to us when hope is hard to find. And before we do, let me just pray for us, okay? Father, this morning, I don't pretend to know the stories of all the people here. Lord, none of us know except you. In fact, Lord, you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways, the Bible tells us. You know who's come here today carrying what burdens. You know who feels exceptionally hopeless today. You know all of us, Lord, would be happy to have some more of hope. And so I'm praying that today you would use your word and by your spirit, would you plant it in our souls in a way that lets faith arise. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read for you from Romans 5. I'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Did you notice the undercurrent of hope there that was kind of running through those verses? The word hope shows up three times in those five verses. And this morning, what we want to do is just take a closer look. What is this verse What are these verses telling us about hope? 
The first mention of hope is in the back half of verse 2. Do you see it there where it says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you're looking for a little bit of hope this morning, the first thing that Romans 5 is going to tell you about hope is this. Got to know this about hope. Hope joyfully anticipates God's glory in heaven. One of the features about biblical hope is that it joyfully anticipates. It looks forward to the glory of God in heaven, God's glory in heaven. Now, let me unpackage that a little bit, because in verse 2, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that just may sound like, you know, one of those things that's a lot of words, densely packed, and you're not exactly sure what it means. What does it mean to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? We'll start with the word hope. What does the word hope mean? Well, when we use the word hope, we usually use it in terms of something in the future, right? Hope is future-oriented. It looks ahead, and it looks forward with anticipation. When you're hoping for something, you're anticipating something good in the future. Now, the Bible's concept of hope strengthens it, and it adds the idea not just of anticipation, but also expectation of confidence. It's like uh, the Bible says hope is having this confident anticipation of something coming in the future that's good. And here we're told that this kind of hope brings us joy. Do you see that in verse 2? We rejoice in the hope. Hope often, when you have that confident expectation of something good in the future, it brings you joy. Even if what you're going through is not joyful. One of the cards that we received, and we received so many cards from from folks here at the Met, and they all were very precious to us. We delighted in them. One of the cards we received had a little saying on the front. It said, until the sun comes back out. And that's kind of the idea. It's like, you know, it's still raining, but hope has this sense that the sun's coming out again, and it's dancing in the puddles until the sun comes out. It's rejoicing. So hope gives us joy. But did you notice what the hope was in here according to verse 2? It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, you may say, I don't know if that verse is true of me. You may be thinking something like, you know what? I don't tend to rejoice in struggles anyway. And I don't think I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. Well, the glory of God speaks of God's radiance and his majesty and his splendor. When we say something's glorious, we mean like it's impressive, right? It's It's stunning. And the glory of God speaks of how stunning he is. He's glorious in his person. Psalm 72 verse 19 says his name is glorious. And he's glorious in what he does. Like what God does is glorious. It's stunning. It's impressive. So Psalm 19 verse 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. Look at the pictures that are sent back by the Hubble Space Telescope. And you're seeing a display of the glory of God. It's like God did that. Whoa, he's impressive. He is amazing. Now, our verse says that we rejoice, we find joy in the hope of the glory of God. Remember, hope is about the future. So somehow he's saying we have this future anticipation of the glory of God, and it gives us joy. So here's my question for you. When do you think God's glory will be most fully seen in the future? When and where do you think we will see God's glory in its fullest measure? Probably you'd say, well, maybe in heaven. And I'd say, that's right, in heaven. In heaven, it's like God's glory will be fully and freely seen. We'll see God's glory in heaven. So what he's saying is that 
we're looking forward with joy and hope to what we're going to see of the glory of God in heaven. But get this, we won't just see God's glory in heaven. This is where it gets amazing. We will share in God's glory in heaven. We're going to get to share it. In fact, turn a few pages over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look at verse 17. This is, this is mind-bending to me. But it, it, it explains why we could be so joyful in hope of the glory of God. We won't just see it. We'll share it. Look at verse 17, please. Chapter 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Speaking of children, they're children of God, God's spiritual children who trusted in Jesus. If we are children, then we are heirs. Like, we get this inheritance. Well, what's the inheritance? Well, it says we're heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And here he's going to tell us the inheritance. If we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. We're going to actually get this inheritance of glory, and we're not just going to see it in heaven. Did you see that, verse 17? We will share in his glory. In fact, verse 18 goes on to say, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not just to us, but in us. So get this. In heaven, God is so magnanimous that he not only wants us to be spectators of his glory, but participants in his glory. So he makes us like shine with glory. You say, well, what's that going to be like? Well, it's going to mean that in heaven, everyone in heaven will have a character that is glorious. In fact, Romans 8 verse 30 says we will be glorified. Our character will be changed so we're like Christ and we'll shine with glory. We won't be divine. We're not deity, but we will shine with God's glory. We will be glorified and we'll have bodies, new bodies. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3.21 and he says, our lowly bodies, these ones that get sick all the time, our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. We'll be like, like Christ in having a body that's glorified. So what that means is we're going to just sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Paul says right now it's kind of grueling. We're going through hard times. There's a lot of suffering. But one day, one day we're going to share in his glory. And his glory will be revealed in us. It will shine through us. We will be glorified. Now, if you go back to our verse in chapter 5, put it all together. I think you'll see what Paul is saying. Chapter 5, verse 2, he says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul's saying this, listen, right now we're going through a lot of sufferings. We share in his sufferings. But we've got this hope, this confident expectation that it's not always going to be hard. That there's going to be an end to these sufferings. And, and though it's grueling now, it's going to be glorious then. And Paul says, and when I think about that, I start finding joy and hope in the glory of God. More hope. First thing, focus your heart on God's promise of glory in heaven. You and I need to kind of turn our thoughts and not just see what's right around us and what we're in the middle of. We need to see above and beyond that to say, you know, it, it is difficult right now, hard times now, but boy, it's going to be high times then. And Paul says, as you fix your heart and your mind on that, you will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, what's coming for you in heaven. You say, can people really do that? 
I'd say, yeah, people can really do that. Now, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I've realized through going through this season in my life is that my hopes are far too pinned on what's happening to me in earth. You know, I, if you're like me, you think a whole lot about earth and you don't think a whole lot about heaven. Heaven's kind of a PS at the end of the letter of life. Heaven's kind of like, you know, the uh, extra track at the end of the CD. It's kind of like a nice add-on. It's something that'll be great. But we tend to say life is now. And Paul is saying to us, wait a second. If you just think about now, you're not going to have a lot of hope. But if you can anticipate the, the glory of God in heaven that you will see and you will share, then you can rejoice with hope of the glory of God. Paul did this. One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 4. And Paul talks about getting pummeled in life in 2 Corinthians 4. It's the passage about the earthen vessels, jars of clay. And he says, we're, we're, you know, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We're, we're, we're tested. He, he goes through this. And then he ends the chapter by saying this. He says, we don't lose heart. In other words, we got hope. We don't lose heart. Because he says in verse 17, these light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he says this, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul, how are you getting through the hard times in your life? Paul looks back at you and he says, I'll tell you one thing I do is I don't just look at the hard times in my life. I'm looking ahead. And I know that these troubles that I'm going through are somehow a sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But one day I'm going to share in his glory. And that hope, that anticipation energizes me and fills me. Helps me find hope when hope is hard to find. So let me ask you, are your hopes all just pinned on earth? You spend all your time thinking about earth and what's going on here? Then you're just going to see the sufferings. Rather than looking ahead to say, oh, but there's glory coming. Hope, biblical hope, joyfully anticipates God's glory in heaven. That's the first thing that we learn about hope in our passage. Now, you, you may hear that and go, you know, I'm really glad for that. I'm, re I'm really glad that I have a heavenly hope. But I was also hoping that there would be some earthly hope. You know, I'm really glad that there is a hope on the far side of suffering is there no hope in the midst of suffering? I'm really glad there's hope in heaven. Isn't there any hope for life on earth? And Paul goes on to say, oh yeah, there is. There's hope even in the hard times. See, he starts off by talking about the hope we have in heaven, verse 2. But then he goes in verses 3, 4, and 5 to talk about the hope we find on earth, even in the midst of hard times. Listen as I read verses 3 through 5. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. There, Paul tells you a second thing about hope. A second way to find hope when hope is hard to find. First thing we saw, hope joyfully anticipates God's glory in heaven, right? Verse 2. Now, catch this, verses 3 to 5. Hope also joyfully endures hard times on earth. Hope is, the, hope is able to give you the endurance to hang in there through hard times on earth. Hope is not just on the far side of suffering, it's also for the midst of suffering. 
and it can give you joy even in the midst of pain. That's what he says. In fact, look what he says in verse 3. Doesn't this seem a little counterintuitive to you? He says in verse 3, not only so, in other words, we don't only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in the future, not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Really? Do you do that? I didn't hear a whole lot of amens when I said, you know, not only so, we rejoice in our suffering. Amen, that's me. I always rejoice in my sufferings. I'll tell you what, on June 8th, I didn't feel like rejoicing. I walked out of the doctor's office and I felt like weeping. How do you, how do you rejoice in your sufferings? It was on the following day when I was walking in the park and I remembered these verses and I started to soak my heart in them that I began to see something that began to give me hope in the sufferings. Did you notice that Paul says, we don't just rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. It's really clear. He's, he's, he's not saying we rejoice in cancer. He's not saying we rejoice in marital breakdowns. We don't rejoice in a job loss. We don't rejoice in sufferings for their own sake. He says in verse 3, we rejoice in sufferings because we know something. Did you see that? Look at it. Verse 3. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know. The joy comes from knowing something. And you say, well, Paul, what did you know that allowed you to find joy in the midst of hard times? And Paul tells you. He says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, verse 4, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Paul says, here's what I know. I know that suffering is the start of a journey towards hope. I know that suffering is a starting place. It's not an ending place. It's the starting place for a journey towards hope. Oh, it can feel like a long journey, but I know that suffering is not an end in itself. Suffering is not the final part of the story. Suffering is actually a launching place, and it moves me on a journey towards hope. In fact, he even tells you the stops on the journey towards hope. Did you see it? He says, suffering produces perseverance. So he said, you know, you start out as suffering, and where you're headed for is perseverance. And perseverance, he says, produces character. And character leads you to a destination of hope. In other words, suffering is the launching part for a journey towards hope. Paul says, I know that. And that gives me some joy. This past June, uh, at the end of June, Linda and I made the journey towards hope. It's a long journey. Uh, after I met with the doctor, I had a couple weeks before I had to start radiation. And so we had two weeks. And we decided we'd had enough of being in hospitals and doctor's office. And we just wanted to be unplugged from it all. So we got in a, in a van and we made a road trip. And we drove a 4,000-mile road trip to Dallas, Texas and back. And uh, it just felt great to just be away and to, and to be on the road. But it was a long road. It was a long drive. In fact, the first day, we left Ottawa, and we made it into New York and Pennsylvania and down into Ohio, stayed in Ohio that night. And then the second day, we left Ohio, and we went through Ohio and Kentucky and into Tennessee, and then we stayed in Tennessee. And then the third day, we went from Tennessee into Arkansas and into Texas. And it was when we were going through Arkansas that we came to the turnoff for Hope. There's a little town called Hope, Arkansas. 
And uh, if you're just going on the road to Dallas, I wasn't expecting it. I just saw that it's uh, you know, Hope, next exit. I thought, let's go there, you know, where <laughs> Hope, Arkansas, you know, population 10,000 and change. It's just a tiny little, just a tiny little town with a great name. And as we were driving by the turnoff for Hope, it just hit me. I thought, this has been a long road to get to Hope, you know, from where, <laughs> like from where we started to Hope was a lot of dry pavement between there and here. And then I thought, that's the way it seems in life. From where you start to arrive at hope, sometimes it seems like a long road to hope. I also thought as I was driving by it, I thought, you know, it took a lot of perseverance to get this far. We had to drive like three full days to make it to hope. And if you're going to make the long journey to hope, you're going to have to have perseverance. In fact, Paul says that's the next stop on the road. Did you see that in verse 3? says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Paul says, here's what I know. On the journey from suffering to hope, you got to go through perseverance. In fact, it takes perseverance to make this journey. In fact, one of the things that God is trying to do in our hard times is to develop within us the quality of perseverance. Perseverance means that you can hang in there, right? It means that you don't give up, you don't give away, you don't, give, you don't go away. The Greek word for persevere means to remain under. It's like you just, you're still bearing that load. And Paul is saying that God intends sufferings to develop in us perseverance. Now, here's a question for you. What kind of sufferings produce perseverance? Well, I'd answer to you many kinds, but they all have one thing in common. They're sustained sufferings. Like you don't, you don't develop perseverance if the suffering is just, just a little short thing in your life, right? If suffering is just a little speed bump on the journey through life, you don't develop perseverance. You just kind of move by it and move on. But if suffering becomes a long stretch of hot, dry pavement, uh, that's when you start to develop perseverance. And on that day that I was walking and praying and trying to figure out what God was up to in my life, it was almost like he said to me, son, I'm trying to develop perseverance in your life, and it's not going to happen unless the suffering that you're facing doesn't go away overnight. It's going to last longer. And on that day, I remember thinking, that actually gives me hope. It's like there's some purpose in this. Like, like God is trying to do something in me. And I, I'm not excited about what I'm about to go through, but somehow he has a bigger story. And I'm on a journey towards hope, and it's a long road to hope. But you can't get there without perseverance. So I began to pray that God would help me persevere. I didn't feel like I had the strength to persevere, but I said, okay, God, if you're going to have me go through this, you're going to have to get me through this. You're going to have to strengthen me through this. At the same time, I was helped by listening to a book on tape my son, Michael, had given me a book on tape when I was going through some surgery. And he said, Dad, when you're recovering, you can just listen to this. And I think you're going to like it. it. It was a New York Times bestseller. The book was called Unbroken. And it's the story of a man named Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was a USGI in World War II. And his story is an amazing story of perseverance. He was a bombardier and his plane went down over the Pacific and he and the pilot, out of the whole crew there, one other guy lived for a little bit, but he and his pilot survived. And they scrambled into one of the inflatable life rafts that's deployed when the, when the plane blew apart. 
They scrambled in this life raft, just barely alive, and they're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, hoping that someone would come and find them, and they would float in the Pacific Ocean for the next 47 days. Uh, at that time, anyway, it was the longest anyone had ever survived that they knew of in a, in a life raft. They had no food other than a few fish that they caught and a couple birds that they were able to capture when they came by. They had no water to drink unless, the, unless it rained and they were able to collect a little rainwater and little, uh, little flaps that they had kind of manufactured there. And on top of that, as they were floating in this raft all by themselves, being baked by the sun, they were constantly surrounded by sharks. Sharks kind of sensed that there was something going here, and the sharks would come and rub their bodies up underneath the, the, you know, the rubberized bottom. Wouldn't that creep you out? <laughs> and then on top of that, after being out there for weeks and weeks and weeks, a plane finally goes by. They shoot flares saying, here we are. And the plane turns back, and they thought, fine, they were going to be rescued. But as it gets closer, they, they see that it's actually an enemy plane. And the plane starts to strafe them with bullets as they're sitting in this raft. And the bullets go all around them, puncturing the raft, and not a single one of the bullets hit them. So they, they kind of inflate the raft and patch it as best they can. They float for 47 days and finally make landfall, only to find it's an enemy-occupied island and they're taken as prisoners of war. And that's when it really gets bad. You, just, you can't get worse, but it gets way worse. There's a prison guard that Louis and the others called the bird. And this man was bent on breaking Louis. He hated Louis. And the things that he has Louis do and he puts him through are unspeakable. And Louis just has to persevere. And as I read this story of this guy, I thought, I have not even begun to persevere. You know, here I am kind of gauging myself by my own little standards, and here is somebody who's had to persevere through trials that I know nothing of. And somehow that gave me courage. I thought, I'd like to be like that. God, I don't got it. If you will help me, I will try to persevere. So let me ask you, do you find yourself, does it feel like right now you're floating in the life raft surrounded by sharks? Or do you feel like imprisoned by hard times? You don't know how to get out? Well, I can tell you this, that God does have a purpose. And I don't know all the purposes that he has, but I can tell you one of them, because the Bible says it. Part of his purpose is to develop in you the quality of perseverance. And you say, well, I don't got that. Then you need to ask him for that. Colossians 1.11 says he gives it. He gives it. He gives you the ability to persevere. And you might need over these next weeks and months of your life to keep saying, God, you haven't relieved me from this. You haven't rescued me from this. So you got to strengthen me in it. Develop in me perseverance. I want to give up. I want to quit. Don't let me do that. Because you see, perseverance is a stop on the journey to hope. Starts with suffering, which leads to perseverance if we let it. But perseverance then leads to the next stop on the journey, which is what? What does the text say? Character. You see, perseverance is needed for you to arrive at character. Character is that quality that we see in people. And, and, and the people we admire most, isn't this true? The people you admire their character the most typically are people who've been through a lot and somehow weathered it and come through and you say, you know, there's something sturdy about them. There is something solid about them. There's something stable about them. 
Their character has become forged and formed on the long road towards hope. And that's what God means to happen. If you read James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says the same thing. It says, count it all joy when you encounter all kinds of trials. Because you know that trials come to develop perseverance, which leads to mature character. It's the same journey in James as it is in Romans 5. God is trying to make you like Jesus. And to get you from where you are to where you need to be, he's going to take you at times on the long journey towards hope. The highway of suffering but he's got a purpose. He wants to forge in you a character that's like Christ. And he does that in the hard times. Malcolm Muggeridge was an English journalist who uh, used to broadcast with the BBC back in World War II days. Malcolm Muggeridge one time said this. These are powerful words. He says, he was 90 years old. He said, looking back on my 90, my 90 years, I realized this. I never made progress in the good times I only progressed in the hard times. That's true, isn't it? You don't grow stronger in the good times. We're thankful for the good times. Bring them on, Lord. But that's not when you grow. That's not when you make progress. That's not when your character is forged. It says you persevere in the hard times. We just don't like it that way. None of us do. There's a funny little cartoon strip, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, that has a great one on this. Uh, little Calvin, you know him? He's that little impish guy that's a you know, handful. He's kind of this generation's version of Dennis the Menace. You know, he's just kind of a, just a naughty little kid, but he's really smart. And he's out there shoveling snow. And he yells to his dad, Dad, how come we're the only family around here that doesn't have a snowblower? Why can't we have a snowblower like everyone else? And his dad says, it develops character. Keep at it. And then Calvin says, I love this, he goes, Pretty convenient how every time I develop character, he saves a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> we don't like the pain that's involved in developing character. But there is no shortcut. It comes on the highway of suffering on the road to hope. It comes through perseverance, which develops character. And then get this, character leads to what? What's the next one? Look at it, the text. Character produces what? Hope. You know why that is? Because when your character is formed, part of what God does is in a strong character, he builds in the quality of resilient hope. People that have strong character are people who've learned to have hope. And verse 5 says, look at this, the hope that does not disappoint. You say, well, does that mean that once you have good character, nothing disappointing happens to you? And I'd say is that once your character is formed, whatever happens to you doesn't, doesn't torpedo and blow up your hope. Your hope doesn't disappoint. It is built into who you are. And you say, well, how, how does that work? Well, he tells you in verse 5, look at it. He says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Here's why hope doesn't disappoint. It's because people who have this character that's been forged by God have come to experience the love of God in a very personal way. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. What he's saying is there is that when God develops your character, he wants you to come to know the love of God in a way that's in your heart, not just in your head. 
He wants you to experience the love of God. He wants you to know that you know that you are loved by God. And as he builds that into you, that conviction that you are loved by God because the Holy Spirit pours it into your heart, he takes back and makes it a personal reality. He takes what was external, what Jesus did, and makes it internal. He convinces you that you are loved by him. You know what happens then? Then your hope doesn't disappoint, even when life is disappointing. Then you're able to say with Paul in Romans chapter 8, who had his character forged by suffering. Paul says this, you know the verses, end of Romans 8. He said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No, he says, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, I know this in my heart. I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nothing in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I say, Paul, how do you know that? And he says, because I've gone on the journey towards hope, I have been through the sufferings, and I've persevered by the grace of God, and he's forged my character, and part of that character has come to experience his love in my heart by his Holy Spirit, and now I've got hope. So I say to you, are you looking for a little bit of hope? Well, some of it comes as you learn to anticipate what's coming in heaven. That you don't get so pinned to earth that you forget about glory. But get this, the second part of home comes not just as you remember God's promise of glory in heaven, but when you remember God's purpose for sufferings on earth. God has a purpose in this. And sometimes it seems so pointless, but God is not pointless in what he's doing. You may not understand it. You may not see it. You may not feel it. It may feel like you're drifting in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, surrounded by sharks and strafed by enemy. That's maybe your experience, but somehow God is saying, no son, no daughter, I'm trying to move you on a journey towards the long road to hope. And that journey always goes through perseverance and character, and it winds up in hope. And when you understand that, when you know that, Paul says, because we know this, suddenly you start finding hope, even before the hard times are over. Well, it doesn't mean you still don't cry some tears and call out to God and say, God, please relent, take it away. It just means in the middle of it, you don't feel abandoned and you don't feel as lost or as hopeless. See, if you want to have hope in the hard times, focus on the promise of God's glory in heaven and focus on the purpose of God's purpose and sufferings on earth. And then he says, hope begins to rise. But as we close, there's one last thing I have to tell you because I kind of skipped over it. Do you notice I skipped verse 1? We, we started in verse 2 today, right? Verse 2 talked about hope in heaven. Verse 3, 4, and 5 talks about hope on earth. Verse 1 actually lays a foundation for the whole thing. If verse 1 isn't true for you, then you're not going to get the hope in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Look what he says in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In other words, all of this is based, it is predicated on the fact that you have been justified by faith and have peace with God. In other words, if you want hope from God, you first have to have peace with God. If you want to have joy in the midst of hard times, you need to be justified, he said. Justified means like God is the judge who declares that you are righteous, you are pardoned. To have peace with God means that you make peace with God. You're not at odds with God anymore. Things are good between you and between God. The Bible says that all of us here start off life not justified and not at peace with God. That comes as a shock to most people in our society. Most people just assume that, you know, things between me and God are are probably basically fine. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all of us are at odds with God. In fact, we're God's enemies, it says in Romans 5. And that's why we have to be justified and we have to make peace with God. Well, how do you do that? Verse 1 tells you it takes two things. One thing God does, one thing you do. Did you see that in verse verse 1? The thing God does is he, he sends you Jesus. It says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through Christ, through what Jesus did, through his death, through his resurrection. So that's God's part. He sent his only begotten son to die for your sins. What's your part? Right at the beginning. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. So it's through Jesus and it's through faith. Jesus brings God's salvation, but it's through faith that you make it personal. As you believe in God, as you trust in Christ, he declares you righteous and things are good between you. And then get this, once you have peace with God, you can start to receive hope from God. Louis Zamperini found that out. Last time I I told you his story, he was in a POW camp in Japan. When the Allies kind of ended the war, Louis came home to Los Angeles. And you would think that all his troubles were over. I mean, he came home, he had this joyful reunion with his family. He met and married a beautiful young lady named Cynthia. He was a local celebrity. But his life began to spiral downwards. After he persevered through so much, he began to fall apart. He would go to bed at night and he would have these night terrors. We would probably call it post-traumatic shock syndrome. He began to have these memories. and, and, And every night he would have nightmares of the bird, that vicious guard pummeling him and he would have flashbacks to all and he would wake up screaming he'd wake up sweating he didn't know how to handle it he didn't know where to run from it so he began to drink and not just a little he began to drink heavily he tried to just drown out the bird in his mind he began to save up his money because he thought the only way i'll ever be free is i'm going to have to go back and i will find the bird and i will kill him and that became his new purpose in life He would drink himself into a stupor, and when he would wake up, he'd try to raise money to go kill the bird. His wife, Cynthia, had had enough, and she said, listen, I can't live with you anymore. You are are someone I don't even know anymore. Right at that time, this was in 1949, a young evangelist named Billy Graham came and had his first major crusade in the Los Angeles area. They set up a huge tent. They called it the Canvas Cathedral. And uh, Cynthia was invited by a neighbor to go hear Billy Graham. So she went. Louie didn't want to have any part of it. She went and she was so moved by what she heard that she came home and said to her husband, look, if you want us to stay together, you're going to have to come with me and hear this guy. Against his will, kicking and screaming, Louie went to the Canvas Cathedral and heard young Billy Graham preach. And he went away spitting mad. Billy Graham got up and said, God knows everything you've ever done and everything you've ever said. And he knows you're not a good man. He knows you're not a good woman. And Louis was incensed. He says, how dare he say that? I am a good man. He stormed out. 
But in his heart, he knew that Billy Graham was right. He went back the next night, and Billy Graham said, God knows your name, he knows your needs, and he loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And Billy Graham invited people to come forward and to receive the love of God by trusting in Christ. And Louis shot up, and he walked out the back door the other way, mad. And he got out in the parking lot, and the rain began to fall. And then he began to think of how many times God had spared his life from the sharks, from the strafing of the bullets, from all that he'd lived through. And he began, he looked up at the sky and he realized that God had been there for him, that God had watched over his life and that he needed to surrender his life to God. So he turned around and told Cynthia, would you wait for me? He went back in, walked that little sawdust trail, knelt down at the front and gave his life to Jesus that night. That night he went home went to his stash of liquor and pulled it out and dumped it all down the toilet. Cynthia watched. That night he went to bed and for the first time in years, he didn't have nightmares. And the nightmares of the bird never came back. In fact, within a year, Louis was back in Japan meeting with the prison guards, telling them, I forgive you. His life has radically changed. He's still alive today. He's 94 years old. And he's still telling the story of how God took a man who was hopeless and gave him hope. But it came as he got right with God. So this morning as we close, I want to invite you on the journey to hope. And for some of you, you need to start it by getting right with God. You need to invite Jesus to be your savior and trust him like Louis did. And then for others of you, you're somewhere on this long journey. You're either in suffering or perseverance. Maybe you see some character, maybe you don't, but you want to head to hope. You need to say, Lord, would you help me keep going on the journey and fix my eyes on the journey's end? I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to invite you just to pray. Would you just take a couple moments and ask God to meet you wherever you are on this journey? Maybe surrender your heart to him if you've never done so. Maybe ask him for the perseverance that you know you don't have, the perspective that you have lost, the strength that you need. Would you invite him to do that? And then we lift our eyes and we ask him to be our strength. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about online courses at Heritage College and Seminary, visit our website at discoverheritage.ca or visit our personal website at rickandlindareed.com.